And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created in We are exploited. We are downtrodden. We are denied not only civil rights, but even human rights. So the only way we're going to get some of this oppression and exploitation away from us or aside from us is come together against the common enemy. I don't want you to protest, I don't want you to ride, I don't want you to write to your congressman because I wouldn't know what to tell you to write. I don't know what to do about the depression and the inflation and the Russians and the crying in the street. All I know is that first, you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being, God damn it! My life has value! We'll get together, have a few laughs. Welcome to the Iowa Talk Guys podcast. I'm your host, TP. I'm your host, Theo. And tonight we're finally bringing you our first episode of Who is your daddy and what does he do? You tell me. Who is your daddy and, and what, what does, does he, he do? do? Okay, we start right here. You. Plus, job. Right. So, tonight we are bringing you Klaus Schwab and his daddy. Klaus. Cockbonnet Klaus. Cockbonnet Klaus and his daddy, Jürgen Schwab. Eugen. Eugene for us American. Good old Eugene. First, let's just get into who Klaus Schwab is, all right? A little bit. Onward. Who is Klaus Schwab? Who is your daddy? He was born March 30th, 1938 in Ravensburg, German Reich. Reich. German Reich. So, you know what that means? Now it's Germany. Yeah. Reichland. Klaus Martin Schwab is a German engineer, economist, and founder of the World Economic Forum. He has acted as the WEF's chairman since founding the organization in 1971. Very kind of him. Yeah, we're going to get into that later in this show. But for now, we want to talk about... Who is your daddy? Because I think it's really important to look at family ties. Where family people come ties from. and... And it's not about the sins of your father, but when you're a suspicious fellow yourself. Well, when you're following in your father's footsteps, but you want to try to make a name for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Above your father. Well, he's made a name for himself. Sure has, honey. No one's really heard of Eugene. Jürgen. Jürgen Schwab. He was born April 27th, 1899 in Bern, Switzerland. Jürgen Schwab followed in the footsteps of his father and also became a machine engineer. And in future years, he would advise his children to do the same. Jürgen Schwab would eventually begin working at a factory in a town in Upper Schwabia in southern Germany, capital of the district of Ravensburg, Baden Württemberg. Wittenberg. I hope I pronounced some of that That's even perfect. remotely. Uh, the factory where he would forge his career, which was the German branch of a Swiss company named Escher Weiss. Escher Weiss. Sounds like a beer. Edelweiss. 
Asherweiss. Asherweiss. I'll take an Asherweiss, please. It is a hot day. I will take a nice Asherweiss, please. Room temperature, por favor. Anyway, Asherweiss was a Swiss industrial company with a focus on engineering and turbine constructions at that time. <clears throat> Very important. In the in the late, or I'm sorry, early 1900s. We right? create a lot of energy with yeah good old turbine they're working on hydro 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 turbines not, and not necessarily wind no they knew <laughs> but hydro was, they knew there was power you know how that hydro be power. you know how that hydro be everybody loves the hydro <laughs> absolutely <laughs> right that's we need we need to make a patented original rap song i would talk guys rap song you know how that hydro be. Huh? There's yeah. an idea for you. Is it going to be about Escher Weiss? Uh, could be about the Escher Weiss, yeah. Oh, maybe. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. I don't know. Anyway, uh, the company was founded as Escher Weiss and Cy in 1805 by a man named Hans and another man named uh, Solomon. Hans Escher and Solomon von Weiss. After having started as a textile spinning business, they expanded their enterprise into a machine shop that manufactured textile machinery, water wheels, water turbines, power transmissions equipment, and starting in 1835, ships, including boilers and steam engines. And between 1904 and 1929, steam turbines were produced for thermal power plants, ships, and locomotives. And the company also manufactured the hydraulic systems of the hydroelectric plants. So there, it was a pretty big deal. So before we get into the next paragraph, I would like to remind everybody of episodes 37 and 38. Of Iowa Oper- Top Guys podcast. Operation Paperclip. The two piecers yeah. on Operation Paperclip. We didn't even define the tip of the iceberg no. in, in that little two part special. You know, There's TP, a- you did a great job. You did a four piece on MK Ultra, and uh, you got a lot of information out there, but we didn't even really dip into it there. Well, yeah, exactly. It's the same thing. We didn't even... That was the tip of the iceberg. But they're, mm. they're all right places to start. And that's just right. because all it was was working guys like us that just did research when we could, found stuff. Yeah. Most people aren't doing it. Most people just aren't doing it. Right. So all it was is buying books. Buying a couple books. And, and yeah, reading. You know, reading most of it. Not the whole thing. Chapters that matter. You know, got to do what you got to do. How many of these kids cheat their way through college, man? Uh, I know a lot of them that did. <laughs> anyway. Escherweiss. I actually went on DuckDuckGo and, and looked at some Escherweiss, checked it out. Yeah. Looked at some images of some of their machinery and stuff, like some of their old school machinery, like back in the uh, late 1800s and... 19th century. Yeah. Some of it's still working, operating. There's some of it still for sale on, e- on eBay from like the early 1900s. Sure. Nice. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Good stuff. Yeah. Very good, well-engineered well, the, German. Yeah. The, but the Industrial Revolution. Yeah, the Industrial Revolution, certain things still, I mean, if they were maintained, man, they still work. Yeah. Not river boats necessarily because, man, that river takes its toll. But, you That's know, true. just, yeah, boilers and whatnot, if they're 
you, you can yeah uh hydroelectric power plants i mean there's a lot of those were built there's in, a lot of countries that have no idea how to do that 1930s a lot of the stuff was in tennessee was done yeah you know like in the we're coming up on 100 years mm-hmm. during the tennessee river valley project yeah i don't or tennessee valley project is that what it was called i don't know anyways was all you wanted to, to hail with the depression and to hail with all that fiat money i agree moving on moving on as we, so as we did describe in those episodes particularly in this time and place in operation paperclip horrific nazi crimes against humanity took place in ravensburg we didn't cover ravensburg but horrific nazi crimes against humanity took place in ravensburg on january 1st 1934 the law for the prevention of hereditary diseases came into force in nazi germany meaning people with diagnosed illnesses such as dementia schizophrenia epilepsy hereditary deafness and various other mental disorders could be legally forcibly sterilized in the ravensburg city hospital today called heilig geist hospital four sterilizations were carried out beginning in april 1934 by 1936 sterilization was the most performed medical procedure in the municipal hospital very crazy yeah that's mind-boggling and we talked about that kind of be weird to walk through those halls i bet yeah yeah we talked about that in our mk ultra i can't remember i think it was episode three or whatever that the american association psychiatric association was also at the time discussing eugenics and sterilization recommended right right? if i remember correctly either they're talking about either sterilization or uh, euthanasia yeah we weren't particularly happy with the results of the experiment you know yeah who would have known that they would have become murderous psychopaths after i shocked the shit out of them forever right yeah anyway so i just wanted to, i put that in here as a, a little bit of a pretext to what's going on in ravensburg at the time that was around so that was right before old klaus was born klaus 38 was, so he was born. born right before the war yes right before all the shit started happening so in the pre-war years of the 1930s leading up to the german annexation of poland ravensburg escherweiss factory now managed directly by klaus schwab's father jürgen schwab jürgen schwab continued to be the biggest employer in ravensburg not only was the factory a major employer in the town but Hitler's own Nazi party awarded Escherweiss Reisenberg branch the title of National Socialist Model Company while Schwab was at the helm. It's pretty heavy. That's quite the title. Must have uh, done a pretty awesome job. I mean, National Socialist, that pretty much just that's, tags you right there. Right. And from them, right? Yeah. So they were potentially wooing the company for cooperation in the coming war. And their advances were eventually reciprocated. Well, I'm sure the opportunity to uh, make a bunch of weapons presented itself. 
It sure did. And we'll get into that here. Oh, did it? Yeah, it was kind of, apparently, this is another thing that I didn't know until now, that Ravensburg. 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 Was kind of a wartime anomaly in Germany because they were never really, they were never targeted by Allied airstrikes, apparently. From what I learned, it's because they had a presence. It's Apparently, there was a Red Cross presence in the town and a rumored agreement with various companies, including Edgar Weiss, saw that Allied forces publicly agreed to not target the southern German town. It was not classified as a significant military target throughout the war, and for that reason, the town still maintains many of its original features. However, much darker things were afoot in Ravensburg once the war began. So it's right across this Lake Constance from Switzerland, it looks like. Okay. So not, not exactly on the shores. Friedrichshafen is. But it's just a little drive from there, it looks like. That makes so sense. So it's way down by Switzerland. Yeah. That makes sense. There was a... Neutral s- country at the time. Well, that Swiss and, was owned it. And, right? yeah, and it opened up one over there. The, and the Nazis didn't go well, into, they didn't the, go into the, Switzerland. The U.S. was like, well, we <clears> don't, we don't want to bomb Switzerland. it because it's a Swiss company. Sure. Right? Sure. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know what's going through their heads, but... Well, and if they didn't know what was going on at the time, right, or what was happening... Well, I mean, look at it this way, too. I mean, I guess it's not really any further away than anywhere else. Berlin would be a hell of a flight. So, Ravensburg wouldn't be. But, you you know, it's actually kind of like through Switzerland. So, I doubt. I don't know if Allied bombers were going through there or allowed to. But Hmm. All right. Interesting. Anyway, I'd like to know where stuff is. Yeah. yeah. No, and I'm glad that you can br- you bring it up and... Other people should go look at it, too. Thank you. Yeah. Well, so you, Jürgen Schwab. Jürgen Schwab. Yeah, he managed, the, he managed the National Socialist Model Company for Escher Weiss, and the, the Swiss company ended up aiding the Nazi Weimark. Wehrmacht. The Wehrmacht. The Nazi Wehrmacht with producing significant weapons of war as well as more basic armaments. I believe that Wehrmacht, Wehrmacht is the unified forces of Germany. So, like, we might say the U.S. military is comprised of Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines. Coast Guard. You know, the Wehrmacht yeah. is comprised of Navy, Army. Okay. Uh, air, air. So, the entire Nazi yeah, the, military. The forces. Nazi. All right, cool. So, Nazi forces. Well, yeah, they, uh, so Ecovice was the company, was a leader in large turbine technology for hydroelectric dams and power plants, which is pretty important when you're building shit for a war and you need yeah. electricity. I mean, yeah, you need machinery. Yeah, they did that uh, too. Lighting. So they, and they also manufactured parts for German fighter planes. Uh, they Messer were also Schmitz. intimately involved with a more sinister project happening behind the scenes that fortunately didn't come to fruition. Otherwise, it could have possibly turned the tide of the, the war. But I went and I found uh, some of these documents from what I found. So Western military intelligence were already aware of Ecker Weiss's complicity and collaboration with the Nazis. 
There are records available from Western military intelligence at the time, specifically record group 226 from the data compiled by the Office of Strategic Services. OSS. Talked about them. Yep. They've come up before Gosh. quite a few times, which showed the which Allied was, Force. Go ahead. It was the pre-CIA yeah, the predecessor intelligence, to, the predecessor to the CIA. The CIA was birthed of the OSS, essentially. I believe there was a break in time, right? OSS. Uh, yeah. The OSS lost its charter or whatever, and then there was a break. But and then the CIA was created, and then they were just sta- staffed. Nineteen forty-seven. Maybe there wasn't a break. They were they were staffed with former OSS guys. But yeah, it was, all, all, it, was it was OSS, all OSS guys, OSS. And, and they were trained. And their connections, and then they were probably primarily trained by right. British. Well, and naval intelligence, sure. and, you know, military intelligence and stuff, right? So, uh, anyways. The OSS showed shows uh, the Allied forces were aware of some of the Eckerweiss's business dealings with the Nazis, but apparently really didn't give a shit after the war. Well, that's a lot of companies that function today. Yeah, and we've talked about that. As before. a matter of fact, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> not I, all. I look at your not food. all of them that got. Not everybody got executed because of the war crimes. Yeah, look at your food, man. I don't know. Not all of them went uh, to the UK or the Russians or the French or the United States in military intelligence grams. Operation Paperclip and afterwards. Some of them just went back to their old fucking jobs of being police chiefs or farmers. You know, it got to the point where in West Germany, I believe that this is covered in Operation Paperclip by Annie Jacobson. Got to the point in West Germany where it could have been a hardcore card-carrying Nazi wearing the freaking nice uniform with yeah. the red armband, you know? Yeah. Looking like a hard mofo. Proud. You get, I don't know, a room full of your neighbors together say, oh, yes, he was just a Nazi because he had to be. He had no choice. They, they literally made him do it. Yeah, they made him. He if he wanted afraid. to keep his job. He was afraid. He had to kill all those people. What was he supposed to do? Quit? Yeah. Well, then that was enough to, okay, well, we'll hire him. He has to stay in West Germany, but we'll hire him. His okay. family vouches that he was a good guy. Well, the, in the neighborhood, right? Yeah. Um, Literally, no, I believe. Nice. My mind serves me correctly. There's, that's covered in Operation Paperwork. Well, that's, that's cute. Anyways, within this record group, 226... There were three specific mentions of Eckerweiss, including file number 47178, which reads Eckerweiss of Switzerland is working on a large order of for Germany. Flamethrowers are dispatched from Switzerland under the name Brennstoffbehalter. That sounded Nordic. Yeah, it did. Brennstoffbehalter. I can't, dude. Their, <laughs> lo- their words are way too big, man. They're I'd wild. Love, I'd love to learn German, though. It's like the food. Stoff behalter. Food's Helta. amazing. Food's amazing. Yeah, it is. I love it. <laughs> Brennstoff behalter. Yeah, dated September 1944. Wow. Oh, so they knew before the war was even over. <laughs> that's neat. Yeah, that's... File number 41589 showed that the Swiss were allowing German exports to be stored in their country. A supposedly neutral nation during World War Two. You know, hmm. besides banking, the entr- I'm sure oh, that they had to have something else going on, right? You know, 
They ain't stupid. Anyways, this reads, Business relations between Empresa Nacional Calvo Sotelo and Queso, for short, and Queso, for short, Escherweiss and Mineral Salbau Gesellschaft. Salbau Gesellschaft. July 1944. See also file number 42627. There's a Lima in front of there. I'm sorry. See also Lima 42627. Report on collaboration between the Spanish Empresa and Queso. The Empresa Nacional Calvo Satelio and the German Rheinmetall. 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 On German exports stored in Switzerland, August 1944. So don't forget, we, we've mentioned that in Paperclip. We mentioned it in MK Ultra. The German Nazi party wrote down everything, they documented everything. Stuff got destroyed. But sure. Not everything. A lot of it. Yeah. Not everything. I mean, they're still finding. Old Testament books of the Bible from 600 BC. Yeah. So, yeah, they didn't even come close to storing everything, destroying everything. No. And I could only imagine how much more has been hidden from us. Well, and look what stuff's been dug up back in the 1800s. It was just like, oh, look at this crazy looking lion sculptor thing with some steps in this jungle and then turned out to be Chichen Itza. I'm going to fucking shoot it. <laughs> no, it was a statue. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let's take our pictures on it. And then once they started uh, taking, clearing out the foliage, Massive it turned out. temple. Yeah, it turned out to be Chichen Itza. An absolutely stunning complex of temples and. Yeah. Feats that we couldn't barely accomplish no. today. Beautiful. A- at all. We can't even at all. That I've temple. Never been, but I'd love to go to some Mayan ruins. Well, let's do it sometime. I would never have. I would not like to lit, survive and live in them. Though, no. Because no. I, you know, get at risk of having your heart cut out so that it might rain or something like that. Allegedly. My, that's they, what they told us that's happened. What, that's what, <laughs> well, I, I think it did in Teotihuacan. Yeah. Whatnot, right? Wasn't there one day that like 20,000 people went through that line? That's what they said, yeah. They're just cutting well, hearts you, out. And do you doubt them. it? I don't know. I don't know. You know I, guess. I mean, this is pretty sophisticated. We don't. We don't know pretty shit. sophisticated people. I mean, they knew the times and the seasons, the solstices. Oh, you bet. The movements of the stars, mapping of the stars. I mean, mm-hmm. in fact, but there is the still records, right? Or no, the Mayans actually did end in 2012. That's when their calendar supposedly. Oh, ended. their calendar. Yeah. Anyways, getting back to this. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Let's sacky back. We went down a rabbit hole. Let's gen sacky back on this. Sacky all the way back to file number 72654. Claim that Hungary's bauxite was formally sent to Germany and Switzerland yeah. for refining. It's like a something that's mined, I believe. Like okay. a metal or... Yeah, it's a, some sort of a mined product. Okay. So then a government syndicate built... An aluminum plant, aluminium, uh, aluminium plant at Dunamas. No, how do you how'd you say it? Dunamas? Dunalmas. Dunalmas. Yeah, Dunalmas. 
on the borders of, of Hungary. Electric power was provided. Hungary contributed coal mines and equipment was ordered from the Swiss firm Eschweiss. Production began in 1941. They knew about that in May. That was reported on by the OSS on May 1944. May of 44. Yeah, so and they knew that Escherweiss was helping the German war effort. Oh, absolutely. And make no mistake, so was Hungary. Right. And guess who? And Swiss, Switzerland. Escherweiss, yeah, they were leaders in one blossoming field in particular, and that was creating new turbine technology. Which is very intriguing. Yeah. Technology. Yeah. Whether so, it's... Uh, you know, turbines for jet engines or, or hydroelectric. They're obviously had their shit together if they're doing stuff like that. Right. And they built the Norsk hydro plant. The company had engineered a 14,500 horsepower turbine for the Norsk hydro industrial facility. Wow. Strategically important hydroelectric plant at Vemark near Rahuken in Norway. The Norsk hydro plant part, which, powered by Escherweiss, was the only industrial plant under Nazi control capable of producing heavy water, an ingredient essential for making plutonium for the Nazi atomic bomb program. The Ooh. Germans had put all possible resources behind the production of hot, heavy water, but the Allied forces were aware of their potentially game-changing tech advances by the increasingly desperate Nazis. With help from the Escherweiss, the Nazis were almost able to change the tides of war and bring about an access victory. But we did learn, at least according to Operation Paperclip by Annie Jacobson, that their atomic program was largely a failure. Yes. But they were very advanced in other areas. They, yeah. Aircraft. They helped us advance a lot and stuff, too, yeah, even in I our know. atomic and, energy programs. And I'll tell you this. After diving into into that and learning about how advanced they actually were in aircraft and cutting edge, now when I look back, and rockets and, and whatnot, when I look back and hear about what happened with the U.S. and the Soviets just in, in rockets and whatnot, I mean, I can only imagine how many of this were was german ideas you know oh really yeah and german no thinking yeah, that's, that, a good, that's a good point i never really thought about well, that well i mean look, think about the rockets that are being used in what is the thing about by the, russia right now the soviet era the migs and stuff yeah absolutely yeah the mig knows how to make aircraft it's for sure i wonder if they i'm not looking into that i don't know anyway back at it at the Escherweiss factory in Ravensburg, Jürgen Schwab had been busy putting forced laborers to work at his model Nazi company. During the years of World War II, nearly 3,600 forced laborers worked in Ravensburg, including at Escherweiss. According to the city archivist in Ravensburg, Andrea Schmude, the Escherweiss machine factory in Ravensburg, employed between 198 and 203 civil workers and POWs during the war. Karl Schweizer, a local Lindau historian, states that Escherweiss maintained a small special camp for forced laborers on the factory premises. Well, that's nice. That, oh, nice. Yeah. A special camp. 
It's super special. The use of masses of forced laborers in Ravensbrück made it necessary to set up one of the largest recorded Nazi forced labor camps in the workshop of the former carpenters at Ziegelstrasse 16. At one time, the camp in question accommodated 125 French prisoners of war who were later redistributed to other camps in 1942. The French workers were replaced by 150 Russian prisoners of war who, it was rumored, were treated the worst out of all the POWs. Russian dogs. So, yeah. Just like they did. Slavic dogs. Your language. Hearing you speak your language offends me. People don't realize, like, the true racism in Europe. Yeah, right. I know. Like, we're so bad in the United States. What are you talking about, dude? Europe, they will. and, And it's like, the shade of the skin ain't too different even half the time. You know no, what I mean? Yeah, I know. And the, well, I mean, and yeah, and like the Indian subcontinent, racism there, dude. It's all over. Yeah. It's all over, buddy. Anyways, yeah, just like they did at, where was that, where um, good old Walt Disney's buddy was working? Walt? I don't know. Um, Where they're making the V2 rockets. Oh. Where parts. Mittelberg. Huh? Mittelberg. The Where second Walt, one? No. Walt, Walt Disney's buddy that made the rockets, uh, Werner von Braun. Von Braun, yeah. Yeah, Middlebergs. Remember the... That was the second place? That was the Where they underground said, factory, yeah. mid- Middlebergs. It's a Middlebau. Middlebau. Oh, okay. I thought it was named something else. But anyways, that's where they said Not materials bad. and labor went in and corpses and rockets came out. There were... They upped production from uh, virtually a handful of V2s a day to like 200 per day. Wow. And then they had a problem with, you remember this from us talking of V2s that were sometimes on the launch pad blast, just blown up. And they were hung all those or, or prisoners or soon right after launch. Yeah. And they They like, thought it was sabotage. Yeah. They thought it was sabotage. So they hung like 14 people Yeah, and only lowered the bodies from the crane. When they needed the crane to manufacture, said rockets uh, well this wasn't as rough as that but they were bringing all types of prisoners from everywhere that's what we're talking about though yeah one such prisoner was a woman named Zina Chikawashawa whose work card and work boots are held by the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum those documents identified her as a non-Jewish forced labor assigned to Ravensburg, Germany during 1943 and 1944. Jürgen Schwab Schwab would dutifully maintain the status quo during the war years. After all, he had young Klaus Martin Schwab Klaus Martin Schwab was born in 38 and his brother Jörg Rainer Schwab Schwab Born a few years later, Jürgens would have wanted to keep his children out of harm's way and safe. People go to Ravensburg. It's close to Switzerland. By the lake. So, they didn't really have Jews there that they prosecuted because if you go back in the day and look at the earlier days of Ravensburg, this is something that I researched and didn't put in here. 
that I found through my research was that, well, it's because Ravensburg had already eradicated the Jews in the late, like, 1800, or early 1900s, I'm sorry, like, right after World War One. Yeah, the Ashkenazis did not fare well. Yes. Yep. In Europe. And they, uh, they, there were a lot of places they didn't. <laughs> there was only unfortunately like, there was only like a handful of Jewish families left in Ravensburg. Sure. And then when the Nazis came in, there was for some reason there was one, which I'm guessing he sold out the rest of the families, because there was like a couple stores, and there was only one, and still left to this day that was Jewish ran through the entire war in Ravensburg, Germany, and uh, big shocker there. I didn't dig into it, but I'm willing to bet since, you know, him and his family survived and all the other Jews in Ravensburg perished. Ooh. I'm willing to bet he sold out his neighbors oh, well, and his business uh, without, competitors. Without naming the guy. Yeah. Anyway, so that's why they had to bring in POWs for their labor because pretty much all the the Jews were already done. There's a cheap and you can take some money for that labor for yourself. You can probably feel much better about I believe it. it's the lucky Luciano call it the racket. Mm. <laughs> so that was Klaus Schwab's daddy and what he did. And like I said, we're going to get a little bit into Klaus Schwab and who this slob is and what he's all about. We've mentioned the WEF before in episodes we've talked about him before. So, you know, we'll get into a little bit of their founding. Klaus Schwab. Klaus. Yeah, I found it very interesting that according to Wikipedia and other news outlets, Klaus Schwab's family allegedly fled Nazi Germany during the beginning of the war. Mm-hmm. But records kept particularly by the Nazi party and Escherweiss company clearly prove that his father, Jugend, was still running the Escherweiss Ravensburg facility under the supervision and authorization of the nazi party well what a coincidence <laughs> fucking weird <laughs> but it's, uh, I, I it's really hard so and we'll get into it in the conclusion and i'll get into the main source of my research here who i use a brilliant uh, investigative journalist and the the hurdles that he ran through also are encountered in doing this research okay because if you have enough money and enough power guess what you make things go away like the internet anything between 1945 and 1947 klaus attended primary school in our germany klaus schwab recalls in a 2006 interview with the irish times that after the war, I chaired the Franco-German Regional Youth Association. My heroes were Adenauer, the Gasperi, and de Gaulle. Yeah, I didn't look into them. Charles de Gaulle? Yeah. You know, you know he who he was, right? De Gaulle. Yeah, French president. Oh. Big the, time, like, like DNB and Fu and, you know, and he Vietnamese was, uh, occupation. There were... Assassination attempts. I want to say the Legion had a, an attempt on his life. I don't know. I'll have Jeeves. We'll have Jeeves. We're sorry, France. There. We would like a lot more listeners from France. Yeah. We should know our French history more. I actually have a friend who lives in France. Maybe we should reach out to her. You should. Yeah. Please do. So. Shout out to me, Amiga, Brenda. All right. I'll do that. So that she can tell her mother and her brother and her cousins and in-laws. 
Because they're all the French ones. Anyways. You know. Yeah. Charles de Gaulle was born November 22, 1890, in Lille, France. He died November 9, 1970, in Corlombe Église. He was a French soldier, writer, statesman, and architect of France's Fifth Republic. During World War II, he led the French resistance group Française Libres, from 1939 to 1945 and eventually was able to unify most French resistance forces in their struggle against Germany. His aims and actions as president have drawn more exegesis and speculation than those of any other French statesman. So, Klaus Schwab and his younger brother, Yes, Yes, yes were both to follow in the footsteps of their grandfather, Gottfried Schwab, and the father, Jürgen, and would both initially train as machine engineers. Because, duh. Engineers lead the way. Klaus would begin studying his plethora of degrees at Svan Gymnasium Ravensburg between 1949 and 1957, eventually graduating from Humanistisches Gymnasium in Ravensburg. I used to know a gal from from in town, you yeah, know, back in high school, and I believe her and her family were from Croatia, and she was like, "Oh yeah, before the war we came through Germany, and oh you you could learn German easy. It's so it's so much like English. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> but okay, lady. I mean, you know, my hat goes off to her because she's the one that spoke." like three languages oh, so hey good, well, good for her yeah you're smarter yeah, well than you me. have me on that subject yeah it must <laughs> you mu must be easy for you brainiac yeah, yeah, yeah. you fucking nerd <laughs> <laughs> anyways between 1958 and 62 klaus began working with various engineering companies and in 62 klaus completed his mechanical engineering studies at the swiss federal institute of technology eth in zurich zurich with an engineering diploma. The following year, he, he also completed an economics course at the University of Freiburg, Freiburg Switzerland. Switzerland. Uh, it gets better. This man, I mean, no doubt, Klaus Schwab. Highly educated. Cockbonnet Klaus. Cockbonnet. Is very smart. Cockbonnet. 63 to 66, Klaus worked as an assistant to the Director General of the German Machine Building Association, Frankfurt. That's pretty Frankfurt. big. That's that I, I I happen to have a machining degree, and that's that's you got to know your stuff, mm. especially back in that day. Sure, there's no doubt in my mind that Klaus Schwab is brilliant, an intelligent man. Right, it's he just looks terrible in a cock bonnet. He he looks terrible in a cock bonnet on a beach, and he has devoted himself to evil. But if you make yourself more than just a man, if you devote yourself to an ideal, and if they can't stop you, then you become something else entirely. Anyways, in 67, Klaus gained a doctorate in economics from the University of Friburg, Switzerland, as well as a Master of Public Administration qualification from the John F. Kennedy School of Government at Harvard in the United States. Well, I don't know. 
How else do you tell somebody's evil if you get a government degree from Harvard? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's German, real, Swiss educated, and then go to Harvard. That's it's pretty, pretty good sweet. way. So, oh yeah, that's they're probably fucking evil. I, I wonder how close they've been to conversations about uh, bombing Cambodia. Well, pretty close, I'm sure. Because uh, while in Harvard, young Klaus Schwab happened to have a teacher, a professor named Henry Kissinger. Guess Henry Henry Kissinger. Guess who I was just thinking about? Harvard's Harvard's most famous alumni to me. Theodore Kaczynski? No. Oh. But uh, <laughs> he did just pass. Yeah. I heard nobody wanted to open up his invitations to the <laughs> funeral. You, you were not the originator of that joke. I know. That's why I said I heard that. <laughs> I seen that. All right. Henry anyways. Kissinger, evil. Bombing yeah. Cam- t- speaking of bombing Cambodia. Right. Speaking of bombing Cambodia. So... Schwab was taught under Henry Kissinger, who Klaus would later say that Henry Kissinger was one of the top three to four figures who most influenced his thinking over the course of his entire life. Didn't Obama say that? About Henry Kissinger as well? Interesting. Come on, dude. We're talking about this uh, global network of globalists want to tear down barriers and make everything total totalitarian something we haven't talked about a whole hell of a lot is the, this treaty to get everybody to essentially surrender medical pandemic sovereignty to the who and whatnot oh yeah well i don't want to bring that up on this one regardless but, just a, a minor site there yeah boom you need to protect marching towards your local p- medical privacy we get into that in episode four of MK Ultra Part Four, too, also is that we there needs to be you need to stand up and protect your right for medical privacy. That's what these people are doing. Anyways, getting back to this, but in '66, Escheweiss, the Swiss turbine manufacturer, signed a cooperation agreement with the Solvas Solza Brothers Sulza. in Winterthur. So then, essentially, Solzer ended up purchasing Escherweiss and it, resol- it dissolved. It became Solzer Escherweiss AG in 69, and then eventually it dissolved. But before that merge, right when that merger took place, started happening, young Klaus Schwab joined his father's footsteps in working for the infamous Escherweiss company. It's been around since 1805, right? Wow. So at that time, though, it was Solzer Esch- Escherweiss. So that was in 1967 that he started the reorganization of the company to be a technology company, working toward computers, shit like that. He saw the, the future. So just like Steve Jobs. Yeah, I would Gates. also like to point out the parallel to Confessions of an Economic Hitman. Yeah. He was an economist that worked in an engineering firm out of Boston. Weird. And they would go around and build dam- hydroelectric dams. You know, Escheweiss. Yeah. So it's a Escheweiss is you know making turbines right and kind of got the same model going here wow amazing yeah they would end up getting in deals with uh, a south african nuclear energy shit all this craziness wow in this yeah in the 70s and 80s i did hear about this on a rumble video yeah that was klaus schwab his company not only that but that like apartheid south africa right yeah Yes. Like ba- like bad like a bad ass fucking regime that was like like fucking de- suppressing death. 80 90% of the population. 
here i want to something okay here's what i have to say about that the k the south african k word all right we'll just call it that right so i was uh i was on vacay chase mate cheers mate try to be a little south african cheers yeah cheers yeah so i happened to be flipping through the channels in a hotel room one day lethal weapon three came on meeting up with your girlfriend or what <laughs> i was on vacation <laughs> no obviously not that was a complete joke i know anyways i was flipping through the channels in the old cable television and i happened to run across dang on lethal weapon three. Oh, i can't recall watching it that was the diplomatic community oh no that was the second one remember one and two yeah, that was I the second it. one. The second one was diplomatic immunity. It was those South Africans that were like smuggling drugs or whatever and shit. And uh, this was on like TNT or something. Okay. Yeah. And he straight up calls Danny Glover. Don't you go being a smart keffer. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. And I. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I was like, what? It's uh, pretty bad. I'm like, they're going to allow that on cable television? I'm like, if people only knew what that meant. Okay. I have to tell you a story now. Just me. One time I was up in the cities with a couple guys. We were there for like a political function, actually. Believe it or not. It was Ron Paul. The Twin Cities? Yeah, the Twin Cities. I believe it was in Minneapolis. And we got a hotel room in a really, really bad part of town. Didn't even know it. I did that once up in D.C. It was a bad Cause, idea. Because we're just some simple Iowa people that don't know shit. Yeah. And we called a cab to pick us up, take us to a club. It was like a German club. Yeah? We didn't have any food or anything, but it was called Club Jaeger. Oh, really? Like the drink, right? Yeah. Jägermeister. Club Jaeger. Were they just playing Ramstein and house music? No. So we were already pretty toasted, right? We called this guy. And it is a an Af- man originally from Africa. Yeah. And he's dressed in the nice colorful gown and whatnot, you know, and like the, the matching hat and mm-hmm. stuff. Looked pretty cool. So I say, Hey, could you take us to Club Jaeger, please? And he says, Please, please, do not call me a N word. Me and the two other guys. Oh my gosh. No, sir, there's been a misunderstanding here. Like, no, no, please take us to Club Jaeger. Jaeger. It took him a couple times. He thought I kept calling him the N-word. Obviously, there's a translation problem here. Oh, my gosh, dude. <laughs> I said, no, please. Please take us to like, Did you show him your phone? Club Jaeger. Like this place, dude. Well, this was before smartphones, too. Oh, yeah. I forgot your old. It's back like flip phones. <laughs> and so finally he got it. He's like, oh, yeah, Club Jaeger. Yeah. He took us right there. Oh, yes, 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 yes. He was a cool dude. And I was like, oh, man, what? On the way there, like, dude, no. 
What? He's like, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. I take you. Let's go. <laughs> Jeez Louise. Yeah. That anyway. Would, that would have been uncomfortable. Bit of a tangent there. <laughs> but. All right. Yeah. But it all worked out. Huh. We got it worked That's out. That's good. Got to go to the, Nothing uh, the German club. Leather and latex. All right. The founding of the World Economic Forum. So in 1970, Klaus Schraub wrote to the European Commission and asked for help in setting up a non-commercial think tank for European business leaders. Gotta love think tanks. Because he saw that the future was technology and he knew that Europe, you know, they had to move forward. Well, that is correct. And so the European Commission would sponsor the event as well, sending French politician Raymond Barr to act as the foreman's intellectual mentor. Raymond Barr, who was, at the time, European Commissioner for Economic and Financial Affairs, would later go on to become French Prime Minister and would be accused of making anti-Semitic comments while in office. Well, that's not good. Yeah. So Schwab left Escheweiss to organize a two-week business managerial conference. In 1971, the first meeting of the World Economic Forum, which was then called uh, the European Management Symposium, EMS, I guess, convened in Davos, Switzerland. Davos, Switzerland. And has ever since. Yeah, EMS, WEF. I think EMS rolls off the tongue a little bit easier than WEF does, right? But... We are not out for just the European. We're out for the entire world. Yes. Very much so. Hail Hydra! And of course, it is from Europe that yeah. the world will be ruled. This is the same yes. shit from that Captain America 2 movie, man. Hail Hydra! Hail Hydra! So, apparently, around 450 participants from 31 countries would take part in Schwab's first European management symposium mostly made up of managers from various European companies, politicians, and U.S. academics. The SC here also forgot to mention Eugen. Eugen was still around. He had retired from, from Escheweiss. Escheweiss. But he, because, of his, the good life, is because he? of his outstanding record, he was rubbing elbows with some pretty powerful people yeah. by the time by the time Klaus Schwab wrote that letter, old daddy Jürgen must yeah. have made a few phone calls or something, I think. Yeah? Yeah. You think? I think. my per That's the uh, opinion of TP. So you think so? Yes. Yes, sir. So how could it be? I don't know. Beyond my imagination. I know. Things like that don't really happen except for in movies and books, right? <sighs> how could somebody's daddy teach them their ideas and favors of... The big guy... Help me out. <laughs> you kick the 10% up to the big guy. Thanks, daddy. <laughs> but when he is gone, I will not take it. Yes. Yes. Anyways. But hookers, I will. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, pretty interesting. The project was recorded as organized by Klaus Schwab. And his secretary, Hild Stoll, must have been an extremely... Good secretary. Klaus was living the porn life because he ended up marrying his secretary. Oh, that's very unprofessional. Be became his wife. That is unprofessional. 
But she knew everything going on. I had to do it. That's unprofessional. Marry your secretary. She went to ATM. I can't get behind something like that. She let me poop on her. Click it off, dude. Click it off. Dude, what the fuck is wrong with German people? You are a clown, dude. Anyway. Horrible. Horrible. So, uh, Klaus's European symposium was not an original idea. Okay? So, there's other people that did some research on this. A writer, Ganja J. Ganja J. Ganja J. Aratnam. Aratnam stated... Quite coherently in 2018, Klaus's Spirit of Davos was also, get this, the Spirit of Harvard. As far as their their main object, their narrative, their the spirit. What, like, I guess it would be one of their core values, uh, or uh, as you would say, right? I wonder if Brian Stelter was there. I uh, he was at da- Davos. Stelter. Brian Stelzer, wasn't yeah. he at Davos in yes, like 2021 or 2020? <clears throat> well, and. Huh? He works at Harvard now. And he does work at Harvard, yeah. Not only, anyways, to quote this guy, not only had the business school advocated the idea of a symposium, but prominent Harvard economist John Kenneth Galbraith championed the affluent society as well as capitalism's planning needs and the rapprochement of east and west so you know I'm there's always here. these guys that just think they can plan every damn thing that's what you're seeing right now with the global economy united states economy think they can just plan every damn thing and, and you can't yeah and harvard dude so many things happen at harvard there's so much intertwined. We talk about Harvard a lot on our show and history. Weird yeah. shit goes on at Harvard. Do you remember one Weird of the people coming out of Harvard? <clears throat> you remember one of the insults that's thrown at uh, in the movie School Ties? Uh uh-uh. uh. About Harvard? No. You ever seen that movie? I have not. Dude, you need to watch the movie School Ties. <clears throat> okay. It's a 90s must. All right. Well, I'll do it. Brendan Fraser. Oh, really? Chris. Oh, are there those Chris, frat boys? Chris, uh, well, Matt Damon's in it. Chris O'Connell. Ben Affleck. Yeah, it's a good movie. I think I've seen... I remember parts of it. I don't think I've ever seen the whole movie. But yeah, like... So one of the things that, you know... Long story short, Brendan Fraser is a transfer. Plays quarterback. But he's Jew. And it's a Catholic school of a bunch of fucking elite kids, right? Yeah. And uh, so... So one of the things they... They say there's, well, yeah, I wouldn't want to go to, they get crap for going to like Princeton or something because that's where their family went. I wouldn't go to Harvard if you paid all those Jews and communists. Okay. It's like from the movie, but. That was a, so at Harvard, if you were a Jew, you got bashed on. I don't know. Must have. I mean, all right. Well, whatever. Anyway, I mean, also the statue of Harvard himself, allegedly, right, that they have there. I don't know. They have the three lies. There's three lies written on it. What? The, the founded date. Another lie is that's not the bust of the founding father of Harvard, Harvard himself. It's not? Yeah, and I can't remember the third one, but... I'm like, that's very interesting. So in your own, in your very own 
statue of your founder, quote unquote, you have three lies. Which why would you hidden want to in, hidden in plain sight, but you have to know what it's talking about. Why would you want a statue of yourself anyway? Well, he didn't. That's why it's not his actual bust. He was long gone by the time they decided they wanted that statue there. Mm. Okay. So it's a very Harvard's very interesting. And I, if I remember correctly, I believe the Evil. CIA recruits out of Harvard quite often. I'd imagine. I can only imagine how badass somebody with a degree from Harvard thinks they are. Super badass. I think they're super badass, too, personally. Mm. Anyway, Klaus's European Symposium was not really an original idea, right? It's true. This was also not the first time that Davos had hosted such an event, okay? Between 1928 and 1931, the Davos University conferences took place at the Hotel Belvedere, events which were co-founded by Albert Einstein and were only halted by the Great Depression and the threat of looming war. Wow, that's interesting. So I wonder, yeah, you know what? I should really look into the health, the, the history of that. Hotel Belvedere, though. Because I know the WEF Davos conference has been at the Belvedere before in the past. Wow. The most influential group that spurred the creation of Klaus Schwab's symposium was the Club of Rome, which was an influential think tank of the scientific and moneyed elite that mirrors the World Economic Forum in many ways including in its promotion of a global governance model led by technocratic elite. Isn't that a really weird name and really weird goal? Yeah. Interesting also that the Vatican is in Rome. Coupled with a really weird goal. Right. Two organizations of elitists moving towards a common goal. What type of person desires... Power. To achieve such power over others. I, I don't know what would drive a man that would want that much power. Like live and let or live. Woman. Or woman, because there's women involved in this too. Love your brother. Yes. Right. Yeah, be a good Samaritan. Right? No, none of that shit rings a bell to these. Oh, but I am being a good Samaritan by extinguishing vermin. Anyway, and, and of course, impressing my superiority upon them. You need me. Yes. Yeah. More than I need them. That is for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, and here's what I find very interesting about this: the Club of Rome. The Club of Rome had been founded in 1968 by Italian industrialist Ar- Arleo Pacchi. Aurelio Pacchi and Scottish chemist Alexander King during a private meeting at a residence owned by the Rockefeller family in Bellagio, Italia. So wow, I found that really that's, interesting. That's just... I. That's another and, one of and, those sort of like conspiracy theorists, 45 and 0, <laughs> right now. <laughs> ah! Yeah, why? Yeah, but people just don't get it. I have no yeah, idea. I mean, what is a what is an industrialist? So that they work alongside a lot of engineers and stuff, right? Of course. Yeah, they have to. Must have engineers in order for industry to 
thrive. Right. So interesting that, you know, Klaus was an engineer and family engineers and he started that shit and this other guys were an industrialist and then doesn't a chemist, me. a chemist, what is a chemist? It doesn't surprise me. What would a chemist have to it do? It would take an engineer. It's crazy, dude. I don't understand. But anyways, going back to the Club of Rome, among its first accomplishments was a 1972 book entitled The Limits of Growth that largely focused on global overpopulation because they're to say warning that quote if the world's consumption patterns and population growth continued at the same high rates of the time the earth would strike its limits within a century which yet it hasn't yeah and this is right off the heels this is only like 20 years later after they millions of people just got murdered and you really think they're like, oh, well, because a bunch of people had sex and babies after the war, now we're going to be overpopulated, right? Think yeah. of the millions. It's their generation it, that did it anyway. The millions happen. and millions of people that were exterminated in the 30s, 40s, whether it was communism 50s, or war. 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s, well, this was, so this 80s. Book, this book came out, here, this book came out in... 72 so yeah i mean at that time there was still genocides going on in cambodia, cambodia. yeah <laughs> outrageous that they're like china oh, the earth is overpopulated ukraine in the 40s 30s that's what i'm saying that all that I, this is and since this that was on the heels uh, after world war ii when Pe all these atrocities and millions of people were ex just people don't ponder how absolutely horrible the 20th century was for humanity. Mm. Well, it's because we have video games in Hollywood nowadays, dude. <laughs> How could it have been? Well, thank it, goodness. It could have been that bad, right? Could have been that bad. People are living in a fantasy realm. That's the Matrix, dude, essentially, dude, right? They're living in a fantasy world where. I suppose so. This shit just, weird shit just happens or whatever, I guess. I don't know. Uh, continuing on. At the third meeting of the World Economic Forum in 1973, None other than the Club of Rome founder himself, Pache, delivered a speech summarizing the book, which the World Economic Forum website remembers as having been the distinguished event of this historical meeting. So, pretty sweet. Same year, Club of Rome published a report detailing an adaptive model for global governance that would divide the world into 10 interconnected economic political regions so some like hunger games type shit they're just districting the world <laughs> like yeah it's you the hunger I mean? games <laughs> that's what that kind of reminded me of never have i wanted so much to live somewhere like in the south pacific on an island or or in alaska where you can or, dig in the volcanic cave and hide and yeah, rock and yeah. <laughs> seriously <laughs> like fish just fish yeah start a fire fish i want to live like tom hanks and cast away seriously just like or dry fish in the salt and air mm. yeah that good for you would yeah, yeah i'd eat the shit out of that anyway yeah the club of rome was long controversial for its obsession with reducing the quote global population and many of its early 
earlier uh, policies. Would you think people would be interested in hearing from organizations that speak of that, especially particularly influential ones? Like us? No. <laughs> That'd be really stupid. You guys paid for us to come up here and talk? <laughs> You're dumb. No, these people are trying to take over the world. Yeah, I know. Nobody reported on this. Oh, I'm sure there were some reports, but it's one of those things, man. If the owners of the media show up to these events. Yeah, they're on board. Right. And they have been. And that's real. Okay. And so, yeah, think about like the CFR, Council on Foreign Relations. Yeah. And foreign policy. They talk about, you know, uh... A strong Iran is against U.S. strategic interests. <laughs> yeah, because they're evil. Yeah. Because they don't like want to work with us. Like a bunch of puppets on Team America. Yeah. So, real quick, hitting on this shit, the cl- this Club of Rome... They came out with another book, 1991, The First Global Revolution. It was argued that such policies could gain popular support if the masses were able to link them with an existential fight against a common enemy. I occasionally think how quickly our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. Who would that be? I don't know. Uh, could be terrorists. Could be... Oh, that's interesting. Aliens. Right. And here's a quote from that book. To the effect, the first global revolution contains a passage entitled, quote, The common enemy of humanity is man. In searching for a common enemy against whom we can unite, we came up with the idea that pollution, the threat of global warming water shortages, famine, and the like would fit the bill. And their interactions, these phenomena, do constitute a common threat which must be confronted by everyone together. But designating these dangers as the enemy, we fall into the trap which we have already warned readers about, namely mistaking symptoms for causes. All these dangers are caused by human intervention in natural process. And it is only through changed attitudes and behavior that they can be overcome. The real enemy then is humanity itself. That sounds like Agent Smith. I'd like to share a revelation that I've had during my time here. It came to me when... I tried to classify your species, and I realized that you're not actually mammals. Every mammal on this planet instinctively develops a natural equilibrium with the surrounding environment, but you humans do not. You move to an area and you multiply, and multiply until every natural resource is consumed. And the only way you can survive is to spread to another area. 
There is another organism on this planet that follows the same pattern. Do you know what it is? A virus. Human beings are a disease, a cancer of this planet. You are a plague, and we are the cure. You know what it is? It's the smell. <laughs> I just, dude, people, please. I guess for the love of humanity, you know what? And it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. On a daily basis. Tell me, t- tell me it's not hard to love humanity. Oh, absolutely. Because I, you know what is, I see? I'm sorry. You know what I see on a daily basis? I see a bunch of people fast asleep. When I see a bunch of people, it, it annoys the living shit out of me, dude. I see a bunch of people that are. It's hard to love. They're off. It is hard to love them. They're off in their own little lot of lands. They're not paying attention to anything. They're yeah. being inconsiderate to others. And I did just recently see a clip where this guy was like, "It's not all intentional. Like they're humans. Like they're just they're out in their own world. Like don't mistake." Or he said, "Don't attribute malice to what can can be tri- attributed to complacency." Or being incompetent, I think he used. It turns out, this quote has a name, Hanlon's razor, which is an adage or rule of thumb that states, never attribute to malice that which is adequately explained by stupidity. Known in several other forms, it is a philosophical razor that suggests a way of eliminating unlikely explanations for human behavior. It is named after Robert J. Hanlon, who submitted the statement to Murphy's Law Book 2 in 1980. Although, similar statements have been recorded since at least the 18th century. Cheers to the wanker in the video that tried to act like he came up with this quote on his own. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's a good point. Don't don't get offended by people being stupid, essentially, right? Just, they're, they're incompetent. But, and it, it may not be intentional because... They are asleep. And that's what kind of pisses me off is wake up. Right? Pay but, fucking attention. But here's the thing. Ignorance does not mean innocence. Correct. That is a good point too. And and that means all of us. Absolutely. Everybody. Well, I was just following the law because I didn't want or I just didn't want to lose my job. You're right. Yeah. So anywho. We'll circle back. In the years since, the elite that populate the Club of Rome and the World Economic Forum have frequently argued that population control methods are essential to protecting the environment. It is thus unsurprising that the World Economic Forum would similarly use the issue of climate and environment as a way to market otherwise unpopular policies, such as those of the Great Reset, as necessary. So once again, that's the boogeyman. It's not necessarily terrorists or aliens. It's the climate. environment. How dare you? It's climate change. It's man's it's man- impact on man- the environment. Man bear pig. It's uh. I I still haven't really watched that. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Even though it, South Park is hilarious. Yeah, but that's essentially. They're using this as the boogeyman to get you to conform to their bullshit. Well, as we've talked about prior, to get trillions of dollars. Yeah. So, if you see, like, where Ukraine money is going, it's going everywhere. Right. 
Weapons are going everywhere. It's crazy. Okay. So guess what they're doing the next time? What did they do in Iraq? What did they do with that money? Contractors. Blah, 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 blah. Afghanistan. Contractors. Blah, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Who wasted a bunch of government money on stupid <laughs> shit like armored fucking Suburbans that oh, yeah. you can't drive in Afghanistan because you'll get shot at. Just automatically? Yeah. <laughs> Why? There aren't a lot of Afghanis driving Suburbans? Or Jeeps. Or king ranches or beamers there's stories out there of contractors that have been to bases where there's just lots of armored vehicles that they can't drive because some dumbasses just ordered them using government money government funding money really yeah (laughs) sure ordered a bunch of toyota helixes or stupid dude right they're you know just what I'm dumb. Saying? Yeah, because they have like special websites they can or, go to and order shit off of, right? Yeah, some like, like the like the Jackal. Global right? Nissan or something that Yeah. So I don't know. Anyways. It's all an illusion. We're gonna we're gonna bring this in here to the conclusion by independent investigative journalist Johnny Vedmore, who so he is the main source that we use that I used for this show. And you can find this at unlimitedhangout.com. And he uh, he's a pretty good journalist. He's got a lot of good stuff on here. So we got to give him credit. And he's got he's got all of his sources on that website when you go there, too. So I, re- I did a lot of research. I came across him and found this like halfway through. And I was like, dang, this made it way easier for me. Thanks, bro. So anyway, Johnny's conclusion Since the founding of the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab has become one of the most powerful people in the world, and his great reset has made it more important than ever to scrutinize the man sitting on the globalist throne. Mm. Given his prominent role in the far-reaching efforts to transform every aspect of the existing order, Klaus Schwab's history was difficult to research, which I agree. I yeah, ran into that issue there, as well. There's not really anything that comes up on searches. Yeah, it's really hard. Yeah. If you go out there and look for yourself, it's super hard. So that's, that's very interesting. Yeah, and I'll, I'll, put, I'll have this source in the description so that people can go look at it themselves. And whatnot. For such a powerful man. Yeah, like I said, if you, you have enough money, you can have anything taken down, erased, and you know whatnots. You betcha. But there's still great journalists, investigative journalists like Johnny Vedmore that's out there doing great work for humanity right i mean essentially if you're out here hunting down klaus schwab and his family letting us know the history john vedmore here's johnny johnny so when you start to dig into the history of the man like schwab who sits aloft other shadowy elite movers and shakers you soon find lots of information has been hidden or removed. Klaus is somebody who wants to stay hidden in the shadowy corners of society and who will only allow the average person to see a well-presented construct of their chosen persona. Live in the shadows, but pull all the strings. That's what he wants. But he's still a public figure. He's He's that type of narcissist, right? Because he's got a Wikipedia and stuff, and there's not much on there about it. You can go look at it. There's a lot of his professional oh, bullshit. He's just this nice guy. Yeah, he he's helps just, South uh, Africa out of this. 
He helped apartheid South Africa. Out. He's going to feed you uh, this, the nuclear program. Bugbuggers. Uh, yes, bugbuggers. And you like it. You're going to go go own nothing and like it. Exclusively from fossil fuels to renewable energies. Yes. Windsurbine. Because as former vice president of United States, Al Gore, would say, we only have seven years. But he said it's like 12 years ago. Well, actually more like 20, oh. maybe. I don't know. That's okay. <laughs> the science was all wrong. The science changed. The science changed. Something has changed. And now we have new science. Science, 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 and science. The yeah. speed of science. They're completely untrustworthy. Yeah. Anyways. Klaus. So, is the real Klaus Schwab a kindly old uncle figure wishing to do good for humanity? Of course. Or is he really the son of a Nazi collaborator who used slave labor and helped the Nazi effort to obtain the first atomic bomb? Which they didn't obtain the atomic bomb. No. They were close. But they... It, it was, was a failure. It was, the effort. it was an effort towards it, right? Is Klaus... The honest businessman, business manager, who we should trust to create a fairer society and workplace for the common man? Or is he the person who helped push Silver Eschweiss into a technological revolution that led to its role in the illegal creation of nuclear weapons for South Africa's racist apartheid regime the evidence i have looked at does not suggest a kindly man but rather a member of a wealthy well-connected family that has a history of helping create weapons of mass destruction for aggressive racist governments in january klaus schwab announced that 2021 is the year that the world economic forum and its allies must rebuild trust with the masses. This was written in 2022, by the way. However, if Schwab continues to hide his history and that of his father's connection to the National Socialist model company that was Escher Weiss during the 1930s and 40s, then people will have good reason to distrust the underlying motivations of his overreaching, undemocratic Great Reset agenda. In the case of the Schwabs, the evidence doesn't point at simple poor business practices or some sort of misunderstanding. Like, this shit was deliberate, obviously. Like, the records that are kept, this is... Well, it seems so. Yeah, it's, uh, it reveals a habit of working with uh, genocidal dictators for the base motives of profit and power, period. Must be nice. You know, be at that level. And we, we, we mentioned before, so Henry Kissinger was Klaus Schwab's mentor. Top three to four in, in influential individuals. And if you know anything about Henry Kissinger... Which, are you fucking surprised? No, not at all. Are you fucking surprised at all? If you know anything about Henry Kissinger, dude... To the face of evil? He is a real scumbag. Yeah. He has absolutely no regard for human life empathy he does not have any empathy for human beings yeah could care less if you die 
Right. He does not care. No. And he's the narcissist. He wants to be in the spotlight. And he he'll, he tells well, you. Well, not necessarily, does he? Yeah, that's why he goes to these conferences and stuff. You don't you don't get up on a conference and be in a spotlight in a room full of people talking on a stage if you don't want people to know who you are. I mean, he was a government official. And teaching all sorts of people and shit. Right. So, whatever. Uh, but, uh, yeah, in the case of Klaus Schwab himself... It appears that he has helped to launder relics of the Nazi era, i.e. its nuclear ambitions and its population control ambitions, so as to ensure the continuity of a deeper agenda. While serving in the leadership capacity of Sulzer Escher Weiss, the company sought to aid the nuclear ambitions of the South African regime then the most Nazi-adjacent government in the world, preserving Escher Weiss's own Nazi-era legacy. Then, through the World Economic Forum, Schwab has helped to rehabilitate eugenics-influenced population control policies during the post-World War II era, a time when the revelations of Nazi atrocities quickly brought the pseudoscience into great disrepute. So, like I said, we talked about that in our MK Ultra episodes. Go listen to those. Right. That's pr- uh, and we we did, and we touched on it. Yeah. There's so there's a lot of forty three through forty seven. I believe so, and those are the numbers. But just go look at it. For our specials, we do different art. So, go check it out. Yeah. Important uh, subject matter. Yeah. So, is there? any reason to believe that klaus schwab as he exists today has changed in any way or is he still the public face of a decades-long effort to ensure the survival of a very old agenda the last question that should be asked about the real motivations behind the actions of adder schwab may be the most important for the future of humanity is klaus schwab trying to create the fourth industrial revolution or is he trying to create the fourth reich Mm. good questions at the end there that was the conclusion from john fedmore i'll put in the description of the episode the link to the article that we use for our main source Mm. just like i did with our other episode the 10 creepy and dystopian things pushed by the world economic forum go back and listen to that one that was like episode 10 or something but it's stuff that they said that the world economic forum is pushing oh and they're not stopping their 2030 agenda so there's a couple there's other podcasts out there that just did some really good did a really good 2030 agenda it was agenda 21 yeah, um, and then that didn't come about the way they wanted, or maybe it did. Maybe that was COVID. Post COVID, John Kerry said that you're going to see this going to overdrive once Biden took office. Yeah, yeah he did say that. Yeah, mm. rather interesting. So imagine that. Yeah, and like I said, we really need to be able to protect our our privacy rights, our medical privacy. Yeah, and. Don't trust the World Economic Forum. No. They're not out for the good of humanity. Well, don't trust any of these supranational agencies or do-getters. They don't. Come on. 
nobody has your best interest. Yeah, especially these turds. <laughs> yeah. Look what they've done around the world. You think here in America we're special and they're just not going to do this shit to us? When they, if they got if they had the chance to cut your throat, they would. Definitely. They're like that one mobster boss that the guy was making millions of dollars. I can't remember his name. Making millions of dollars. He owned a strip club. I think it was in Jersey. And one of his dancers told him that she had a, like $15,000 in cash or something in her closet at home. So when she went up to dance... He went to her apartment and ripped her off. <laughs> he didn't need the money. Yeah. He just. It's what he did. This is the things I do. Huh. Just a sick fuck for no reason. And that's what Klaus Schwab is, in my personal opinion. Well, he won't talk to independent Japanese journalists. We know that. We've already discussed that. Mm. Remember? He, he doesn't like talking to. Any journalist. And Maybe it's because he's racist. It's a possibility. Maybe he doesn't like talking to Japanese folks. You think You think he smells like sulfur? Like Alex Jones said Hillary and Obama smell like? I don't know. I'm told her and Obama just stink, 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 stink. You can't wash that evil off, man. I'm told there's a rotten smell around Hillary. I'm not kidding. People say, they say, that, uh, folks, I've been told this. By high up folks, they say, listen, Obama and Hillary both smell like sulfur. I think if anybody in this world does, it would probably be Klaus Schwab. It's cock bonnet. Yeah, you smell like shit. There was a man on the Riviera walking by, and he had a sock on his penis. He had on garters and a small fedora. He smelled like sulfur when he walked by. That's amazing. Yeah. Repulsive. Very disturbing. All right. That ought to do it. Yeah. If you guys like this show, if you like any of our show, please share. We appreciate it. Um, I know that we do have some fans out there that are sharing, and we appreciate that. So if you're if you're up on uh, like an extension ladder and you're listening to our show and it makes you laugh so hard you buckle over and almost fall off the extension ladder... Well, we appreciate it. Yeah, don't hurt yourself, but, but please, don't hurt yourself. Yeah. P- please share. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, we apologize that E Rock was not here. It's okay. It happens. You know, um, life of a rock star. You know, he had plans. So these things happen. He's with us in, in spirit. spirit. Yeah, always is. That's why we have a cardboard cutout of him here at the shack. <laughs> I wish that'd be sweet. We, we should get a fat head. <laughs> And just oh, and have it awesome. every time he's not here, and then Dude. we'll just take selfies and send it to him when he's not here recording. Yeah, we should do that. If you guys please could follow us on our social media, we have Instagram, the Iowa Talk Guys underscore podcast on Instagram at Iowa Talk Guys underscore podcast at Iowa Talk Guys on Twitter. We also have a new email address a new proton yeah Yeah. for the time being so the website thing's switching around we're still gonna have iowa talk guys don't worry about it so the new email address is iowa talk guys podcast at protonmail.com yeah so that'll be in the description get a hold of us if you want to get on yeah please send us a message on instagram twitter or the email 
currently the Iowa Talk guys' email is down, so send the one to Proton, and we'll get back to you. But and you got to prove to us you've listened. And yeah, you're a fan. Yeah, it can't be send me a, an email like this one gal did want me to like go buy her shit off her Instagram page. That doesn't work. That yeah. doesn't work. It's unsolicited. No, no way. I didn't want. I felt offended. Anyways, if you listen to the show, thanks. I'm pretty sure they just absolutely. I'm pretty sure she was just surfing around. We appreciate you guys. Hardcore. Or if you are a fan of the show listening to us and you want us to buy your shit, come on the show and tell us why we should buy your shit. Yeah, seriously. And tell us why it's not shit Yeah, and maybe, why we should buy it. Maybe we can yeah, work we'll, out we'll, some sort of a advertising deal. Yeah, and we'll talk to you, find out what you're all about. All about? Yep. You've been talking to Davey? <laughs> I have been, by the way, because... Uh, <laughs> We've had some smoke coming down here in Iowa from those dang on uh, Canadian wildfires. So I texted Davey Wavy. I said, hey, tell Justin to get this fucking smoke. Justin Castro? Yeah, the fuck out of my state, please. Justin Blackface Castro? (laughs) Yeah. Another World Economic Forum shit. Young global leader graduate. Yeah, piece of shit. Mm. Much love, Davey. Yeah. I don't talk to Davey sure. like you guys Much do. Much love, bro. Sorry, man. But uh, tell him, send tell him, him, send him my best regards. That was a blast having him on. Yeah, we man. should. We're going to have to have him on again, dude. <laughs> we should. Yeah. It was oh, a yeah. good time. I'd love to we've talk been, to him. We've been getting good feedback about that sh- that episode, too. Oh, a lot sweet. of people liked it. So Awesome. Yeah. But anyways, <laughs> as usual, folks, don't eat the yellow cake. Do not eat that yellow cake. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. Don't eat the yellow snow. Share yeah. this with your uh, your cousin's uncle. Yeah, your cousin's uncle. On on the cousin's mother's side, right? That one. Your brother. Your mother. Father. Your sister. Your lover. Iowa Talk, guys. Out. Iowa Talk, guys. Out. Hi. Good night, everybody.